0: Welcome to Geek Therapy, I'm Jose Cardona. On this episode, I'm interviewing two guys who run therapeutic role-playing games professionally. So the following is part one of a two part interview with Adam Davis and Adam Johns, who are founders of Wheelhouse Workshop, where they run therapeutic tabletop role playing games like Dungeons and Dragons to help kids with social skills. On this first episode, I'm talking to Adam and Adam about how this happened. How did they come together and start a business doing this type of group? Again, they're playing Dungeons and Dragons to help kids, teens and older, to develop better social skills. And the way they do it is amazing. I think there's a lot for us to learn about their story and how to use this one thing that we know so well and we love and we're so geeky about and then applying it and using it for good. So that's part one. Part two will be on our sister podcast, Rolling for Change, which is all about the educational and therapeutic benefits of tabletop games. On that episode, we'll talk about what it is that they actually do during those groups. So there's a lot of stories, and they kind of walk us through the process of how they do what they do. So again, that second part is over on Rolling for Change, which you can find in the show notes. And as always, you can find more Geek Therapy at geektherapy.com. We're at Geek Therapy on Twitter. I'm Josue A. Cardona on Twitter. And you can find more information about Adam and Adam at wheelhouseworkshop.com. So what I what I want to talk about, right, is what exactly is Wheelhouse Workshop? Give me and don't give me the elevator pitch. Give me a slightly longer version.
1: The longer version of the elevator pitch. Um, what we do so well, Adam has a has a whole like technical diagnostic term for for what we do. Uh, but the the fundamental idea of what we do is we use tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons, but we sort of homebrew a lot of the rules and a lot of the way that it's played, as well as the world itself. We don't use any modules. We, we create everything from scratch. And we use those games to help build social skills in kids and teenagers, everything uh, ranging from age 9 all the way up to age 23. Um, and we do that with sort of an intentional level of play with the game. So we take the, the tools, the things that exist within the game, and we use them in application directly within situations to help work on the specific social skill development of each person at our table. That's sort of like the longer technical, <laughs> the technical explanation. And who are the people They're, at that table? Um, mostly kids and teenagers. Um, largely with, uh, autism spectrum disorders or Asperger's, um, ADHD, um, PDD, sometimes just lagging social skills, no, no direct diagnosis, um, or clear diagnosis, but, um, just really having trouble making friends, getting outside, overcoming anxiety. Um, we see a lot of that kind of similar, similar, uh, sets of challenges within those populations.
2: And we see a lot of young people with play deficits, Coming into our groups, so we we take a very strong developmental approach to the to the playing the game of Dungeons and Dragons, but bringing in a lot of appropriate amounts of unstructured narrative play into the experience, so that they can have an opportunity having something that they should have maybe had at four or five, but now they're having it at 13 or 14, and learning how to have semi-structured narrative play together for a developmental reason to help them um, sort of navigate unstructured other t- social times
0: so so at Geek Therapy, I've been trying to make a couple of changes. So one of the things I did without telling anybody, because I'm my own boss, uh, was to <laughs> kind of change the tagline. It used to be, "Can Geek Culture Save the World?" Right, that was kind mm-hmm. of the question, and I changed that recently to "Geek Out, Do Good." Right, because mm-hmm. I I believe that if you have some sort of <clears throat> super specific expertise, you know, especially something that you're passionate about or you care about, and most of all, you understand, you can take that and apply it to doing good in the world. And, and that's why I I wanted to talk to you guys, because I think that's what you're doing. (laughs) Right. And, and do you feel that? Do you you agree? (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. I I mean, essentially, what we did was we, we, uh, without necessarily getting into the whole story just yet, um, we we're good. We were gamers. We, we like to play role-playing games. We both grew up playing role-playing games and, um, we went to grad school and learned all these great theories and, and ideas behind education and psychology and, and counseling. And, and then said, Oh, you know, these work really well. And in this kind of setting, I think I can totally take what I love doing, um, and apply it to how I want my career to be and, and apply it to helping people. Um and that's that's absolutely what we do is we take something great and fun and and that people share a real connection to. And then we use that as a tool for helping them become better people, become stronger, more socially confident, more capable people.
0: And so how did this happen? Right? Like you, you alluded to the story. What is the story? How did <laughs> how did two guys named Adam end up doing, you know, D D like groups for for kids?
2: sure so this is Adam Davis um, I've been a teaching artist working in drama and kids for about 10 years more or less and I was in school <coughs> uh, studying to become uh, a drama therapist and in that time I was uh, I was working for an organization that had uh, that was catering to to kids who had in some way or another special needs social skills groups and they had an improv group and a Dungeons and dragons group and both of which were kind of uh, kids show up, they play some games, they have some social time, and then they go home. It wasn't really um, facilitated in a way that was direct or, or focusing on spe- targeting specific skills. And so I came on as their improv teacher and a facilitator of the Dungeons & Dragons group. At that point, it was uh, the kids were, were DMing for each other, and it was kind of a, a free-for-all, kind of like the Wild West. And uh, I came on as the as the improv teacher and I started using my drama therapy training to sort of uh, think about what I was going to have them do in the improv class in order to target specific skills. So there would be uh, a kid in the in the improv group who would need to work on body awareness. So I would play a drama game focusing on helping them understand how their body language translates to to impact other people either by doing character work or or just statues things like that. And then I would do the Dungeons and Dragons group. And so I started to realize that Dungeons and Dragons could also be facilitated intentionally. Um, But around the time when all these ideas were just starting to percolate, um, the facilitator that I I was my co-facilitator at the time uh, moved away out of town. So I had a a vacancy I needed to to fill. It wasn't my job to hire the person, but I was certainly going to have some input. So I was in class with Adam at the time, and I knew that he was a geek because we were in a class together where we talked about our cultural background and both of us talked about being a part of geek culture. I think we both had dice in our backpacks that we lifted up just to sort of raise our our freak flag and announce to the world that we liked carrying polyhedrons around. Um, (laughs) And at that point um, I knew that I needed a a co-facilitator who had both experience in uh, psychology of some sort and preferably some experience in in Dungeons and Dragons because I wanted the facilitators to be the dungeon masters.
1: What kind of class were you guys taking together? It was a it was a multicultural awareness class. Oh. Um, so I actually had done a presentation where I, I I like made little pictures of all the all the cultures that I belonged to and, and put them up and one of them was a D20 picture, <laughs> and and along with like sign language and music and and other things that I was interested in that I felt like were a part of me. Um, it was a very it was a very accepting school. Like, I could come out as a geek and and people didn't stone me or, or, or throw cabbage at me <laughs> <laughs> um so I got approached by Adam this is one day after class and he comes up to me after class and he says uh how would you like to get paid to be a dungeon master um, <laughs> that's a good job. pitch yeah. <laughs> yeah that's all I needed that's all you needed that was it that was all I needed I was like yeah yes <laughs> what's the catch um The catch Uh, was it was in Bellevue. It was in
2: Bellevue. (laughs) And and we live in Seattle. And that's about a half an hour drive
1: on a good day. Uh, It's about an hour drive in traffic um, or an hour and a half sometimes. Uh, So what we would do, because it was so far away, we had most of the early parts of the day free and the groups ran in the evening. I think they started at five o'clock. So instead of sitting an hour and a half through traffic, we would go there way early. We'd go there like three or four hours early. And we would sit in a coffee shop, true to to our Seattle nature. We'd sit in a, a coffee shop and we would plan our groups for the day. And Adam had the drama and therapy background. My, my background was all in just couple and family therapy. so I didn't have any background in drama. Um, and I really had maybe once before participated in in uh, improv. Um, but it was it was definitely like I, I was getting introduced to a lot of the concepts as Adam was kind of talking me and walking me through because he would basically take the lead on the on the improv groups. And so we would plan those groups with that kind of intentionality and looking at the particular challenges of each kid. And then we would plan our D&D groups. And we started to see this this real commonality planning the groups back to back and saying, well, now we're going to plan D&D. Let's take the same kind of intentionality and the same kind of um targeted intervention that we're using in the improv groups and start trying to apply it to D&D.
2: And because my background was incorporating so much drama already that all of my games I was playing as a dungeon master were all very heavily story driven, very improv based. So I was already doing a lot of a lot of improv story based stuff anyway, so we were it was easy to build in the same kinds of social interaction teaching that we were doing in improv in Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Um, so then we started learning to apply it and we saw some really amazing stuff. Um, some of our stories come from those, those very early years of being, uh, a little, a little experimental in our application and saying, well, what if we tried this and what if we did this? Um, and having kind of a, sp- a great space where we could, we could practice that.
2: A lot of it was discovered sort of by accident as we were, as we were getting started. I remember taking notes for like, uh, Things that work. I have a, I have a notepad somewhere that just says things that work um, for, for d d And there were things like um, there is a, a time I had a, a player who was pretty good at, uh, at social functioning. He needed a little extra boost for his his th- thinking about others and his theory of mind uh, kind of skills. And so I had him they, – they needed to infiltrate a, a goblin stronghold or something like that. And so they came in, and they needed to convince these goblins that they were heroes, and that's why the goblins should should put them up for the night or whatever it was. I don't I don't remember exactly. This was several years ago at this point, but he. Um, The only way that he could talk to the goblins in the first place was because somebody else in the party cast tongues on him, which is the spell that lets him speak goblin. So this kid is there and he's explaining the whole backstory of the entire campaign about how they had defeated the evil wizard Pethesis and how they got the magic items from underground. Very detailed, very kind of almost boring detailed description of the entire thing. And because he was he was on the surface doing doing it right. I needed to give him a little extra push, so I, I said, well, your, your spell just ran out. You cannot speak in Goblin anymore. You need to still be able to communicate to them but not using Goblin. Um, so he then needed to stand up because the Goblins weren't convinced yet. He needed to stand up from the table and mime the rest of the story. Convince, you know, the entire epic story now without using any words at all He could use guttural utterances and things like that Um, And so that you know, there's these little moments where we were playing D&D and we realized that we could kind of sort of push them a little bit farther um, To develop certain certain kinds of skills in that case that kid needed to be pushed in order to really think about what he looks like and, and Think about what the communication aspect of that situation was so we were kind of building on these silly little moments and realizing that, okay i can i can push them to be embodied every once in a while not too much because it's definitely a tabletop rpg but there are definitely times when i can get them to break out of their comfort zone a little bit more which is really crucial for this particular demographic
1: um and, and that's actually when we started playing around too with with uh like other other little ideas within it um in another example we had a uh, we had a one one of the big challenges of running of running that group was that we didn't know what the challenges were for the kids We didn't really have an intake process We sort of were running these groups and, and kids would just get put into our groups And so when we showed up for the first day for each quarter We weren't sure who was going to be there Who was not going to be there and what the challenges of each of each of those individuals was going to be and We we knew we were going to have to come up with something in on the spot and also really roll with the punches um, And so uh, in one of those times Adam and I had planned to just have the whole group together. We're going to take all, I think we had 10 kids, eight, nine or 10 kids all, all at once, um, all with Asperger's or high functioning autism, similar, similarly related difficult social skill disorders. And we put them all at, at one table and we had them all do like an introductory um, story. And then we were going to have the two groups break into two, de- two separate tables after that introductory first day. And that would give us a chance to assess for challenges and see who was going to belong in what groups. And, um, so we had nine or 10 kids that were all, all together and the storyline was that they were going to walk into this, um, soup kitchen. We, we don't do, uh, alcohol in our games. We just have soup. So everybody drinks soup from mugs, um, frothy, golden, soup, frothy, golden, delicious soup from mugs. Um, so we had all the kids come in and they had to come into Seamus's soup kitchen. Seamus is, is a common reoccurring character. I'll, I'll probably get into him later. Um, but they had to put all their weapons in this big magically sealed chest, um, uh, a la the, the bar in Firefly. I don't know if you've seen that, uh, where they had to put their weapons up in the in the weapon depository. Yeah. That, they had to put the weapons in this magically sealed chest, and then they'd go and sit down at the tables. And while they're there, while they're getting served soup from Seamus, skeletons attack, burst through the floorboards and through the walls. And they had to defend themselves, but now they don't have their weapons. And as we're going around the circle and finding out, like, what do you do? How do you defend yourself from skeletons? One of the kids um, who clearly had put like a lot of investment and time into creating his own custom character um, coming to the group for the very first time, Uh, says, I activate the magical tattoos, the magical runic tattoos on my arms, and I summon my weapons to myself. And I say, it doesn't work. They're locked in magically sealed chests. And then he started to get really upset and he started to say, I, I made this character off the idea that I could summon my magical weapons to myself what are you telling me that I can't do that that's the entire concept behind my character and if I can't do that then my character is completely worthless and he started to get really really angry he was clenching his fists clen- clenching saying, his fists and his and was face really was
2: kind of turning red and his whole body was tensing
1: and and I'll never forget Adam Adam turns to him and he goes yeah that doesn't work what does your character do next <laughs> and, and he stopped and he, he like, there's like a physical release moment where he turned and he said, uh, I ripped the arms off the skeleton in front of me and I beat him to death with him. And I said, yes, <laughs> you totally do that. It was super successful. <laughs> Beating the skeleton with his own arms. Um, and it was, it was kind of a turning point where we realized that we could give all the frustration and all the, all the anger and, and difficulty and challenge that the player is facing to the character. Um, and it gives like this great release. It turns out there's there's like tons of theory and and uh, other theories that really are based in, in that idea, both in counseling and in drama therapy. Um, but at the time, we were just trying to survive that group <laughs> to, be, to be able to say it's it's your characters really upset because your character really
2: wanted that to happen. But your character's not getting what he or she wants. So what does your character do about it? What can you as as the player what advice would you give your character in this moment that they're really upset? Was a, a a huge discovery in the kind of way that we wanted to run this this system is is we needed to be able to to apply a sort of selective identification with how much they wanted to be connected to their character and pulled back.
0: So you guys are, are discovering these things, right, little by little, and mm-hmm. you're both there, right? You're not alone. This isn't something that happened in isolation. Um, right. Was it? Was it? Were there? Were these moments where you like looked over at each other and were like, oh, "Did you did you just see what happened?" Or like, there like debrief sessions afterwards where you guys are just high fiving and.
2: Well, there was lots of high fives. There was a lot of high fives. <laughs> we um, we were carpooling as we mentioned before. So there was there was the drive back home after groups, and you know sometimes we'd grab food and stuff. So there was lots of debriefing where we would sort of uh, problem solve a situation and figure out because um, Adam Johns is one of the best game masters I've ever seen. So I, I would like we would we'd have two step. Sort of debriefs where we talk about just purely how to be the best game master we can be, like designing meaningful, interesting interactions, is already a great challenge for any game master. But then also providing uh, rewarding and beneficial, sort of therapeutic content, is a, is a extra challenge. So we would debrief on lots of these, uh, lots of these things every day as we were driving home after these.
1: Yeah, and and, and there was there were all these great moments. Some of, some of them filled with frustration of of uh i i can't get this this one player in my group to engage and They they don't want to be a part of it they want to constantly rally against everything everybody else is doing um and they they don't want to be on a team with everybody else and that's kind of the point of the game is to be on a team together and certainly the point of a social skill development mm-hmm. game is to like work together as a as a cooperative team
2: and there, there was a little bit of rough transition for a while between having uh a a group participant being the game master and then having us be game masters because it used to be that, you know, if a kid is game mastering for other socially challenged kids, it would oftentimes devolve into player versus player combat or ridiculous sandboxing where they would like cut off their enemies' fingers and then use them as pens and all kinds of like really (laughs) grotesque things that as a game master, I would uh,
1: not incentivize. (laughs) But but there was a lot of... um there was a lot of success in there too. But well, we, we would turn around, yeah, just some of those days where, where we came out of the other end and said, this is what I did today, and it worked so well. Mm-hmm. It was it was perfect, it was exactly what they needed. And a lot of like uh, mentally workshopping, like well, you know, they're really pulling away from the group, but what is it that they're looking for? Um, they want a sandbox, or they they want to feel like they're powerful, or they want to um, just feel like they're important. Maybe they, they're not feeling like they're an important enough part of this, of this group. They need the other members of the group to show them that they are an important and needed member of the group. They need their help. Um, so there was a lot of that, that like sort of theoretical talk.
2: And then as, as we, as we sort of figured out that we wanted to do this, we wanted to take it to the next level and really create sort of a tabletop therapy kind of model. Uh, we, we went to the people who were, who were employing us at the time and we kind of um, Promoted that idea, uh, Pr- propose proposed that idea, that, idea yeah. that we wanted to, to you know maybe do some research, have an intake-outtake, and and get better at what we're doing. And they they kind of said that they wanted to just keep it uh, the way that it was, uh, which was fun and it you know was an income generator for the for the organization. And it wasn't they didn't want to make it anything more than that. It was it was good where it was. And so Adam and I decided that we wanted to, uh, we wanted to do this. This is sort of the the thing we wanted to hitch our wagon to. So we went figuring out how to apply for a
1: business license and we we did it we did what every good early business owner <laughs> does which is we made a website we made a website. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I wanted
0: to ask you about what it was like to develop this while you were working for somebody else, and that isn't necessarily what they were hiring you to do, right? And and because uh, and and you, I mean, you you answered what what my question was was going to be as far as how accepting they were about evolving it and and turning it into something slightly different and and honestly, probably better, right? You could see that it would be more beneficial that way, or it could have very specific benefits and you know i don't know if i've told you guys before that you know like i started geek therapy out of retaliation right to a supervisor who was like no 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 you cannot use games with these kids i was like what? are you are you are you kidding that's like that's all they mm-hmm. do like that's their language <laughs> like uh, we're, we're missing an opportunity here that's my language if you let us speak our language we can like magic will happen right and yeah. and that was a big no and kind of you know, me being rebellious, I just was like, well, here's this article that says that it's good and here's this. And I just started collecting mm-hmm. that. And that's and then and now we are here. So so how did that conversation go specifically like before before you, you know, did the, the giant step of building a website? Like how was there a big transition? I mean, was there any back and forth? Did they appreciate it? Did they tell you to step back?
1: the supervisor that we had was, was really busy. They were, they were running, it's an organization that runs a lot of social skills groups and they have a, a wide variety and everything from like, um, uh, direct sit down, like talking about social skills, um, to like games groups and, and like, um, uh, specific, uh, other kind of hobby groups, like building groups and things like that. And, and they were more interested in having groups available that provided an interest to be social. So what they really wanted was not another like therapeutic-esque group, they wanted a group that kids could come to and have a good time um, and be accepted for the particular social skill challenges that they have as opposed to like going to a game store group where they might be rejected from that, from that group. So a lot of it was a, a difference of, of sort of theoretical application of this. Um, our, our supervisor was fine with the way we were running the group but wasn't too interested in being able to expand on that idea. So uh, it it was it was the challenge of us saying like well we're, what we're seeing here is sort of a, a golden nugget somewhere deep down in what this is and we want to dig. And our supervisor said, "Nah, I like the shine of the gold as it is. Like go go ahead and keep <laughs> keep doing it as you're doing, um but I'm not convinced. Either not convinced that there's a there's a, a worthwhile nugget down there or or probably more likely to like not interested in the amount of challenge and effort and and difficulty that it's going to be to get to that. and honestly, probably had a lot more foresight than than what we had in that moment for how much challenge it was really going to be, <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't think there was it was necessarily any resistance. Adam and I were also at nearing the end of our graduate school career, and we're kind of ready to do something on our own. A lot of the the facilitators in that were running social skills groups were all students. They were um, at least bachelor's level, but a lot of masters students running these groups. So there was a high turnover and it was sort of expected that everybody would eventually move on to sort of do their own thing. So it was kind of appropriate for us to leave when we finished grad school. Anyway, we just wanted to be doing this
0: exclusively. So, so did you, did you, then when you graduated, uh, did you decide to go forward or did you leave before and, and start building out the idea?
1: So on the on the true idea that we didn't really understand how much work it was going to be <laughs> to run a business, uh, we started it before we graduated.
2: We were finishing up our, our, our respective thesis work while trying to start a business from scratch without – I mean I think – I read a book about how to start a business. It was like a starting a business for dummies. Kind of workbook, pamphlet, it's something classic. like that.
1: Yep. <laughs> I, I think I sat in a coffee shop for a couple of hours and read some like online articles. That's about as far as I ever got. <laughs> yeah. We just
2: knew, we knew how well, how effective what we were doing was. And we thought that it would be really easy to convince the rest of the world how awesome this, and effective this method is. It's fun, it's uh, really successful at, in building specific targeted skills. All we have to do is make a website and I'm sure Google will handle the rest. Yeah. We, we figured, build it and they will come.
1: It's <laughs> a true field of dreams idea. Right,
2: um, and, and as it as it was, we um, it took a long time for us to finally get clients and it ended up being that, um, you know, we, we sent out lots of emails into the void and eventually one landed with a a school counselor who referred to somebody else. And we got invited to talk at a, at a, uh, PTA meeting, you know, there's like little bits here and there. And then finally we got our first three, our first three clients. Um, and then we're able to start our first group and it took months before we ever got to that point, um, that we could. So we, we needed to have a lot of, uh, a lot of love for the work that we were doing. So, you know, we, we played games on our own and we kept talking about the theory. We read books about, um, you know, not just drama therapy, but other things. Sarah Lynn Bowman's book. I'm not sure if you were familiar with her work. Uh, she wrote a, a book called the functions of role-playing games. Uh, that is an awesome story about just, or an awesome book about how, um, role-playing games have been used and can be used with this sort of psychological lens. Um, and so, we went these all these months, just like fueled by nothing but our own optimism. That and this validation would been, from books yeah. like
0: this, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah.
2: <laughs> um and talking about it, there's you know there'd be occasional people that would find our website that were not clients or potential clients. They were just people out in the middle of, of middle America somewhere that happened to come across our website from a podcast or something. It would send us a message and say, Hey, you know what? You're, you're doing Paylor's work. Keep up the good work. <laughs> um, and it was like lo- those little messages from, from complete strangers out, uh, out in the void that really were a big, uh, inspiration to us when we were really struggling with some of the, the new business uh, challenges as we were starting off. We, 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 were in the black cause it doesn't require a lot of overhead. We were running groups in the, uh, in the, the boardroom at Adam Johns's private practice. So we didn't, we weren't paying for rent. Um, we were paying a slight percentage of our, of our group income, but really it was just a labor of love at the time. We, when we first started, we, we bought dice so the kids could, you know, have, have the polyhedrons they need. And I, we didn't have the money to buy them D fours. So we just bought D8s and told them to divide by two?
1: <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of... We brought, I mean, it, it, was, it was bringing in all of our own D&D stuff. And we, it was all the stuff that we already had. Uh, and I was like stealing paper from my private practice to print out character sheets. I hope they don't listen to this. Um, I still do that sometimes. <laughs> um, and it was it was really just trying to make it work. And those early days were... I, we had we had three kids. It's a social skills group, so we figured, you know, you have to have enough people to be social with. Um so that that very first group was it was three kids that finally came together and was just enough for us to like keep coming week after week. Um and then it expanded. So and,
0: I mean, like it makes it makes perfect sense to have something more structured. Like you mentioned, you know, it was really hard if the same kids weren't coming every time. How do you build off of that, right? Like can you have like how can you really do that, right? When it when there's, they're not consistent and and it's not as structured, and I get that from the from the the group's perspective, from the treatment perspective, but on the D and D culture side, right? Like how how did this come across to to people you spoke to, or how did you how did you communicate it? Like, do you live in a magic RPG land where everybody knows? you know yes uh, yes, yes we okay, okay. We, 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 live live seattle. Seattle. we live in seattle okay <laughs> <then>. <laughs> it's an rpg wonderland okay.
1: it, it actually wasn't always uh super well received um i remember during that time period where we were trying to get those first clients in the door uh we went to a pta meeting and um uh, Adam you always you explain it the best We
2: way. were We were coming in, it was one of the first times we'd ever sort of cr- tried to create a, a presentation so we had our notes and we came in with our example dice and things like that and the the not the not entire PTA wasn't exactly um, aware that we were even going to be there. I've forgotten now how we got permission to go to this thing but we, we gave our little speech and Adam and I were kind of nervous. We were kind of new at talking about this. We probably were maybe a little bit too theory oriented and <laughs> And there, there's, there's nothing quite as disheartening as talking about the thing you love more than anything else and just looking into the cold, dead shark eyes of a tired principal.
0: <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. He just stared us down the entire time with a, a blank sort of dead expression on his face. And then after we were done, we were like, any, anybody have any questions? <laughs> no. Thanks for your time.
1: Uh, I don't think we're going to use that. Yeah, I think he said very directly, "We can't recommend people to your groups," and so we, we like backed up, we like smiled and like gathered up our things uh, and uh,
2: Thanks up for now. your time, everybody. Uh, you know, call, call us if you're interested. Here's our business. Okay, I'll take them. <laughs> they so, just led
1: them
0: right back on the table.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, no, no doubt about it. We actually probably do live in a place that. Is really really ready to accept something like this. I mean, uh, where my private practice is located, uh, we were within uh, like probably a, a five or ten minute drive of the Microsoft camp, a Microsoft campus, a Google campus, a um, a uh, Amazon campus, and the Nintendo America campus. So, um, not to mention Digipen, which is one of the the biggest um, uh, game developing schools uh, in the nation. So, it is in a place that's like. Pretty ready to be geeky and to be and to be on board with geek geek ideas, mm-hmm. um, but and that's probably been honestly a part of a part of the success that we've had um, has been able to be be accepting of of people who are pretty geeky. Yeah, I spoke to a, a
0: therapist that I know um, who works out of San Francisco, and I asked him a similar question, like you know, like how do you attract geeky clients like this? I was like, oh, it's really easy. I live in San Francisco; it's not that hard. <laughs> they just come to me. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, it wasn't that easy in, in North Carolina, I'll tell you that. Oh, I can bet. Totally <laughs> I'll that. bet. Yeah. No, and, and so that part, yeah, because even like you guys, like, that first group that you were at, I mean, they were already doing d You know, it's, to, to me, it sounds, it does sound magical, right? It does sound great <laughs> that there is, there are already people that you could even speak to, right? Like the day you had that idea, you could have reached out to them. I don't know, I don't know if you, if you did, right? But saying like, hey, if, you, if any parents want their kids to go to, you know, like, uh, they, maybe they're seeing a therapist and they've recommended something, you know, more than social skills training, like, you know, we're doing this new thing. Um, mm-hmm. like were other professionals in the area that you spoke to open to that? Like were you getting referrals at all?
1: Most of them were, were open to the idea. We didn't read a lot of resistance as far as like clinical professionals, but there was a, uh, a challenge in getting and convincing them that this was a worthwhile thing to send clients to. Um, and now actually, uh, part of, partly this is because I, I still do my private practice and I'm still part of a private practice group. Um, and all the people in my private practice group. Have really bought into to what we do and refer a lot of clients towards towards our groups, um, but it took a couple of years to really even even then when I was working with them uh you know three days a week, um, it took a long time to really build up that rapport and convince them yes, this is something that's that's really necessary and a lot of that was like Adam and I workshopping how we explain this and and the the theories and orientations behind it, and giving talks to other places and recording those talks so that other people can go back and and watch them later it was It was a lot about um, us being able to grow into being professionals at this that really helped solidify that referral source. It
2: also helped that we're still in the same city as our grad school program and Antioch University here in Seattle has been really supportive. Uh, we've gone back to, we've taught a workshop there for, for master's level students, credit for credit, um, about how to use role playing games in, in their therapeutic practice. And, and, uh, the recent graduates who are our same cohort also are now professionals. And because we started this back in grad school and we were talking about it in our classes, uh, they also now that they're in a position to refer clients to us, that's been really helpful too. I can't imagine trying to do this if I moved to Manhattan, Kansas. I don't know how I would
1: I would try to get this thing going. <laughs> Man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, like to, I like to imagine it like we're pushing like a giant, um, just black obsidian cube with zero resistance. It doesn't have it doesn't have any friction, but just its size, its pure mass is just so hard to push. And I'm one person trying to push this thing. Once I get it going, it's going really well, but but it kind of takes so much effort just to just to get it starting to move.
0: I know that you guys um, have spoken at Pax Prime or Pax. West now, right? It's not Prime anymore. It's West, right? Yeah, they call it West. Yeah. Well, because East at PAX, is bigger. East is bigger and Pax West. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. true. <laughs> Can't call it Prime when East is bigger now. Oh, uh, is. <laughs>
1: but like, I imagine there's some pride on your part. A little, a little. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've
0: been to Pax East a few times. Um, so how was it received when you guys spoke at, at Pax? Uh,
2: we've spoken now at, at Pax West twice and Pax South Um, and every time, and we, we spoke at other comic cons and things like that, and it's been really awesome to, to speak about this kind of thing to a group of like 200 people. And we always ask them to raise their hand if they are interested in doing this kind of work and seeing people that are there who have maybe they came up with this idea on their own. They they also realized that role-playing games were really good for for building specific skills in a, in a psychology context. And they're so excited because they thought they invented it, and we thought we invented it, and everybody thought they invented it. And then we come together and we realize that all of us are doing very similar things with it. And that if we can kind of share our ideas and and develop common language, we can all all improve the kind of work we're doing. So it's been really cool going to these things and seeing how many psychology professionals or, or educators or people, librarians, those kinds of things, community organizers who are using role-playing games to help build community. It's been a really neat uh, process there, not to just to mention the enthusiasm of, of people who support the work.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been, speaking at those conferences, um, We don't, we don't get a lot of direct clients and kind of tracking where clients come from. We don't get clients directly from a lot of geek therapy conference or geek-, geek conferences that we go to, but but they are um, just so encouraging. Uh, every time we go to uh, PAX or, or uh, we go to Emerald City Comic Con, we get to hear all of these stories, both about people who um, just love what we're doing and they think it's wonderful and they, they want to tell us that they think it's wonderful and that's that feels so nice, but also from people, just a surprisingly large number of people who are in the middle of the country who... Who said, "Yeah, you know what? I'm going to use role-playing games in an after-school program," um, and are telling us about how how wonderful that's been and how effective that's been. Um, and one of the things that I'm maybe more blown away about as we get more connected with people is just how many people invented this on their own. Um, and and I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited because we get to be Adam and I get to be like right right in the in the in the top of this of this wonderful and amazing like growing field of people who want who who came up with this idea and then go oh my god there are other people doing this too and we get to connect with all of those people and get to get to hear about all of that and be involved in all of that
0: yeah my favorite comment is i've been doing that for years but yes (laughs) talk to me where where have you been come on here's my email oh how when where yeah, and at
2: at the last one, the LAX PA, uh, PAX West, just a couple of months ago, um, I, I had everybody raise their hand to, to say who here is is interested in or has been using role-playing games for psychological growth and change, be it psychology or counseling or education or whatever. And then I had everybody raise their hand and keep their hand up and look around the room and look around at these people these people are not your competitors they are your colleagues let's get together let's
1: chat let's share ideas because rising tides raise all boats yeah we we really want to help promote and help everybody to realize that there are other people out there doing this work and if we work together don't 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 hoard it don't don't keep it close to the chest. There's a, there's a, tendency and a desire to say there's something wonderful in this. I can't let other people steal it from me, but don't, don't hold it like that. Give it out to everybody. And, and collectively we create something that is incredible. That is absolutely unbelievable. And that none of us could have created on our own.
0: So when someone comes up to you and says, I want to start doing this, I don't know how to do it, where to start. What do you tell them?
1: Start
2: doing it. <laughs> uh, it's important. Uh, we, uh, in all seriousness, there is uh, some people want to be doing the therapeutic work. They they really want to start doing just putting a therapeutic lens onto their homebrew D anD D game, and or they say, well, I have my clients have have deep traumas, and I think this could really help them with their traumas. We'd say something like, well, are you a counselor? Because <laughs> yeah. I think there is. I mean, it's one of the biggest things in in. Uh, drama therapy is that when you start enacting things it really digs deep and brings out some some deeply covered up things and if you wanted to start using role-playing games in that same way you could do a lot of damage if you're not careful so it really depends if we always say well if you want to play the game better because the game is already good at helping build and reinforce certain kinds of interpersonal skills then let me help you be a better game master to focus on building the inherent skills that this game is good at building. But if somebody wants to do therapeutic work, we always encourage them not to do that without the the skills and training that are required to be a counselor.
1: Yeah, we try to be really specific on on that idea, um, especially because we think that the, the possibility for what you can do with this goes deep and very broad. Um, right now, we use it for Social skill development, but I firmly believe that it could be used for treatment of depression of anxiety of, of PTSD um, We're Adam and I are both really excited about the possibility of being able to use this with veterans in the future um, and and the application of, of like PTSD with veterans in, in a role-playing setting seems seems like perfectly suited towards towards that end once uh, and and I think would be amazing all of that requires therapeutic training. We're, we're big proponents of the idea of you know, be be trained, be a therapist, and, and then th- kind of dive into to how you can apply this. And yeah. we're hopeful in the future of being able to like develop a model, something that can can help the people who are trained as therapists then create application. They they don't have to go through all the pitfalls and and challenges of of creating this from scratch like we did, but could actually like reference something that can give them a theoretical orientation and a background. Um, I don't know what that's going to be someday. Well,
2: well we have like to, we have done trainings. as I mentioned earlier, we did a, a full day workshop uh, for for counseling students to help them figure out how to use these sorts of theories in their own practice, whether it be clinic or uh, private practice. and we're we're very open. um we've had some communication with other folks about maybe, um, Helping them, doing some training, those kinds of things, and we're very open to that idea. Right now, we're just we run five groups a week, so our focus is largely on running our groups the best they can be, and we haven't developed the the training for other people yet. And we're we're sort of on the cusp of um, being able to offer those kinds of services. It it really depends on sort of how things grow and shift in the next couple of months, whether or not we'll have the the time and energy to be able to develop some training materials. The interesting part about this is that once people uh, hear some stories and they see some effects. I mean, we have, um, I have, uh, one of our clients was, um, uh, sort of a long story, but uh, she was, she was told by her counselor, her family was told by her private practice uh, therapist that she would need years of psychotherapy before she could ever function in a social group. And she has been in a wheelhouse workshop group for over a year now, every week, Functioning wonderfully and it is translated into her daily life She's able to focus and and function now in her family and in her community She's developing friendships in her real life and that's through the power of playing Dungeons and Dragons in our groups and That's a family that had largely given up on on getting effective group services for this for this person and and I think those kinds of stories are are really useful when trying to talk to other therapists and other counselors and about the the efficacy of this work.
0: Yeah. And to me, it's, I mean, I'm not even going to add anything to everything that you said about just being responsible. And if you are a clinician, then, then be a clinician within your expertise, right? Use, be ethical about it. Don't just start doing things that, that, you know, if you're not a clinician, then you can't do therapy. I mean, that's something that's a whole other topic. That's something I come across all the time. I've been involved in many things where people are doing things. and I'm like, nobody here has any mental health experience or training. Just because you think you're doing OK doesn't mean you should just go and, and act all crazy. And, yeah, and so again, that's that's a whole other conversation. But on the flip side of that, right, I've I've had people reach out to me with questions like, Oh, um, I have some clients who I'm working in groups with who want to do they want to do tabletop game or they want to do something else. And and I can kind of tell, you know, one of my first questions is, Well, but do you play games? And do you understand what those are? Because it's different to talk about what they like and and to share um Anecdotes about the experiences that they've had in games and bring that into therapy. It's completely different than what you guys are doing, which is you are playing a modified version of the game in a very deliberate and intentional way to achieve something. And that's because you guys, you guys know your role-playing games, and only because you guys have that kind of dual um, expertise, right? Can can this work like so, so well? And I encourage people to find kind of what, what that thing is for them. Cause I think everybody has that, right? Everybody has that other thing that they're really, really good about and they know a lot about, and they can kind of adapt what they're doing to their, their clinical work or their teaching, if they're teaching or, or, you know, if Mm -hmm. they are doing social skills work in the afternoons, um, like if an after school program, something like that, like you can bring, bring that in. Um, I don't know if you, have anything to say to, to that?
1: Yeah. I, so, um, uh, interestingly in my private practice, I, I have, uh, taken after you a little bit, Jose, and that I have gone with a, uh, geek, a uh, focus, cultural focus on my, on my private practice. And it's, it is very much about the idea of, of take a culture you belong to and apply it. Um, take something that you're passionate about and combine that with the things that you you want to have in your life and the way that you want to help people uh, if you if you are way into basketball um and you are also a psychologist take take those two um be become like a basketball psychologist um talk with people who are also way into basketball yes you know every every interest has has groups of people that are that are deeply dived and and, and uh, deeply involved in them and I think geek therapy um as well as like the, the work that we do is is very much that idea. We dive deep and we then can utilize that, that interest in that idea um, in the application for, for people's health and for, pe- for helping people to grow in a positive way. Um, I'm like a huge, huge proponent in that idea.
0: So that's part 1 of my talk with Adam and Adam from Wheelhouse Workshop. Again, for more information about them, go to wheelhouseworkshop.com and for the second part of our interview, go to podcast.rollingforchange.com or if you're on iTunes, click the link in the description and it'll take you right to Rolling for Change. Subscribe if you're interested if you're interested in the educational and therapeutic side of tabletop gaming.